us. We are, we're going through the Gospel of Luke. We're in chapter 5. And we come to a, a story that's very familiar. If you spent any time in the church or, or Sunday school, you've, you've probably heard of this story. It's one of my favorite stories in the Gospels. Um, but there's something we have to be cautious of. And it's the reason why Luke writes this story the way that he does. Because here's something we could do. We've had a, we've had a string of healings, right? Um, we've, seen, we've seen Jesus uh, cleanse the leper. We've seen Jesus heal Peter's mother. If we were to go backwards, we saw Jesus heal a demon-possessed man. And so it's kind of easy to come to this one and go, okay, Jesus heals people. Like moving right along. Which is true, and there, there's a big healing in our text, but what's different about this one is that the healing is actually secondary. That the, the physical healing isn't the primary point of the text on this one. And so you got you to gotta kind of be mindful of that going in or you'll miss it because it would be easy to do. I was... Um, I was reading commentaries, as you pay me to do, and studying this. And Ralph Davis used an illustration to set up this text, and I couldn't get away. Do you ever do that sometimes when, when something gets stuck in your mind and you, you, I, I couldn't move on from it or find a better one, which is usually the point of a good illustration. So I thought, all right, if I keep remembering it, then they probably will. Uh, and so Ralph Davis said this of the text. He said, uh, it's like the movie Hoosiers. Do you remember that? Raise your hand if you've seen Hoosiers. All right, if you're not, you might not be converted. Like, that, that's, Jesus wants you to watch it this afternoon if you've never watched Hoosiers. Um, it's from 1986, and um, it's the story of this small town in, in Indiana and their quest to win a high school state championship. I think it was in basketball. Their coach dies, they hire a new coach, Gene Hackman is the coach, and he's playing uh, Coach Normandale, and most of the town doesn't like him, they miss their old coach, and, and some of the kids have started quitting the team, and, and, and the parents are, are super vocal in their opposition to the new coach, and so there's this scene where... He, the, the new coach, Coach Dale, is coming into practice, and I think there's a parent that's leading the practice before he gets there, and they, they enter into this discussion. And, and this is what Ralph, this is the Ralph Davis now, says about this text. Do you know what I'm about to say? I was going to make the title part of this, but I couldn't put it in the bulletin. I would have maybe got fired. That was going too far. It's the scene where Coach Dale walks in and, and this other guy is running to practice and they get into this discussion and, 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 the, and the, the parent that's running the practice, I think the dad says to Coach Dale this. He said, the way I see it, there's two kinds of dumb. He said, there's a guy who gets naked and runs out of the snow and barks at the moon and there's the guy who does the same thing in your living room. The first, you can mostly ignore. The second, you're sort of forced to deal with. 
Now, this is what Ralph Davis says of the text. He said, that's it. Luke is implying that you have to do something with Jesus. It's like he's the one who's in your living room. You're sort of forced to deal with him. Here's why. Jesus Christ is either deity or deceiver. Jesus Christ is either God or scum that's lower than Lucifer. You may have trouble with the authority of Jesus and that what he assumes when it comes to his forgiveness. That's what he's saying. You know, all this nonsense you hear about he was a good moral teacher and maybe he was a prophet and, you know, we can't really go that far, but there's all this good stuff. You can't do that. You know why? He doesn't give you the option. There is zero indifference when it comes to this matter. He is God or he is the biggest fraud of all times. No in between. Which means this. He is deserving of our rejection and our spitting in his face and our turning our backs and our giving him the walk off and our raising our voices with the rest of them saying, he is the epitome of blasphemy. No one has committed blasphemy like Jesus Christ if he's not God, right? Or we bow down with the entirety of our hearts and our lives and we confess him as Lord and God and we worship him and we adore him and we give him praise as is rightfully his. Rejection or wholehearted worship, there's no in between. To profit from its graces together. Uh, If you would be so kind as to take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 26. With me, we stand out of reverence for God and His Word um, at our church. So thank you for doing that with us. Luke 5, 17 to 26. One of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village from Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, and they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, Your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? 
Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we, we too would love to see extraordinary things today in your word. And we believe that, that Jesus is just as powerful to heal as he was here. And so the things that are paralyzing us in our lives this morning, we would be so bold if it was according to your will to ask that you would set us free. Would you do these things? By your wondrous grace, we ask, Lord, in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right, here's the sermon in a sentence. This was the most profitable thing they taught us in seminary. If you can put the sermon into a sentence, you're done by that point. If you can't do that, keep working on it. You got too much stuff going on. Sermon in a sentence. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins because Jesus is the Son of Man. That's the text, right? Jesus has the authority to forgive sins because Jesus is the Son of Man. Now look. Either he is or he isn't. But if he isn't, do not call him a good person and a good moral example because he's a liar and a fraud. Don't do that. He either is the Son of Man or he is not. We're going we're gonna to walk back through this text um, and I'll let, you, I'll let you make your mind up as to whether he is or isn't who he says he is. First part of the sentence, first point, Jesus has the authority to forgive sin. Now, let me tell you why this is important. Um, you know, the, the one word, I love all the little, the little, the conversations that we have on Sunday mornings. You know, you get to have like 15 or 20 before and after church with people, and they, they're like 45 seconds apiece usually. You may get a couple of five-minuters, but most of the ones are just super, really brief, really quick. Like, you know, this morning, the big conversation was the weather. You know, how many of those did you have? It's crazy. We were playing shorts on Friday, uh, playing golf on Friday in shorts, and then now it's freezing. You know, you have that conversation a bunch of times. Here's the other conversation that comes up over and over. Hey, man, how are y'all? The one word, the one word that I hear over. And I get it, and over, and over. Man, we are busy. We're just so busy. I'm busy, busy, busy. Everybody's busy. I get it. We're busy. Y'all, the biggest issue that we have going on in our lives is not our busyness. The biggest issue that we have going on in our lives is our sin. 
You missed that, you missed the text. There is a big problem in your life. There's a big problem in my life, and it's me. And you're the problem in yours. And the problem is our sin. That's what separates us from God, right? That's what causes us to be his enemies. And places us under his judgment and wrath. And, and, and I would commend you, if, if, you're, if you're here this morning and you're searching, if you're seeking, if you have doubts and questions, here's your homework assignment from me. I want you to go find another religion that tells you how you are to be forgiven from your sins, and I want you to get back with me on what you find. What is the other religion that will help you do something about your sin? Let me save you a bunch of time. There's not one. There's not. I mean, you can find things that will give you a bunch of lists of things to do so that, that this deity in the sky might tolerate you. <clears throat> but they have no answer for your sin. And that's your problem. Y'all, the glorious news of the, the grace bomb of this text is that Jesus alone has the authority to forgive sin. It's good news because sin is the biggest problem you have in your life. <clears throat> Y'all, our reconciliation with God, that, that he has found a way to bridge this chasm of separation between his holiness and our sinfulness through his son is the centrality of the gospel message. Now notice with me beginning in verse 17. <clears throat> On one of those days, so we don't, we're not told a specific day in this case, as he was teaching. So Jesus is teaching in somebody's home. And it's packed. Like everybody inside, wall to wall. And then there's their outer courtyard that everybody's standing in. And then even outside of that, it's, it is jam-packed. They probably have the doors open, the windows. So, you can he so people from the outside can hear what's going on. I mean, everybody wants to hear him teach now or heal their sick. So you just have to imagine a room that is packed wall to wall. The courtyard is packed. Even beyond that in the, the outer, it's all packed. There, it is standing room only. On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees, this is the first time they are mentioned in the gospel of Luke. And you're going to hear all about them. You need to know this. These are the arch enemies of Jesus in the gospel. It's like everybody else in the gospels gets grace except for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They're the only ones that don't get grace from Jesus. And it's awesome. They don't need it. <laughs> You've got the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. All right. Why do you think they're there? 
They're not coming to profit from his teaching. Um, this is a this is a this is a denominational term. Like we have these in our denominations. <coughs> there are, there are, there are two things you can set up if you need a delegation for something. Um, a committee and a commission. A commission has the power to, to examine the situation and then to rule. But a committee is set up to, hey, y'all go down there and investigate this thing and then come back and report to us what you find. So basically what you see in the text is there's a committee being formed to go investigate Jesus. We've heard about his popularity. It's spreading. We need to send some men to go find out what's going on. Ultimately, so we can find charges and kill them. So you've got on this delegation, you've got on this committee, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So the Pharisees, you're going to get to know them really well in the next couple of weeks. They are unofficial officials, if that's helpful. They're unofficial in that they haven't been trained. They haven't been to seminary. Um, they're more blue-collar, middle-class, uneducated religious men, but they are very concerned with religious purity and tradition, and they are very, very influential among the day. They got a lot of power. They are so concerned with not violating God's word and law that they put Laws on top of laws to make sure that you don't break the law. Now, here's the great thing. They will help you do that even if you don't ask them to. Free of charge. One commentator said, their zeal for the things of God is to be commended. Their methodology, though, is not. Because it's the complete opposite of grace. I don't know about you. This is what I grew up in. It is the bondage of legalism of the flesh. Keep the code. Check the boxes. Stay in the line. That's the Pharisees. They're in the audience and so too are the teachers of the law. Those are the scribes. Scribes could also be Pharisees. A lot of them were. Scribes, though, are professionals. Uh, They they have been to seminary. This is their job, is the proper interpretation of the law. They're they're professionals. They're professional religious people. It's kind of like whenever we go to lunch or dinner and it's, you're, it's that weird situation of who's going to pray and I'll always go, I'll pray because I'm the paid Christian. Okay, the, they're the paid professionals of the law, the scribes. And so, you know, if you walk into a scribe's house, like they've got their seminary degree hanging on the wall and like it's got one of those lights, you know, that you put over a nice painting. Like it's the first thing you see. I've been in people's houses and seen this. 
First thing you want me to see when I enter your house is that you graduated from whatever seminary, and apparently it's really important because you have a light on your diploma on the wall right when I walk in the house. What is wrong with you? Who cares? Oh, but they want you to know. Those are the scribes. Both of them are on this committee. And don't miss this. This is not, this is not throwaway words. Who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. So word is spread and we're sending a committee formed from all the region. And oh yeah, from the mothership back in Jerusalem. Like this is a big deal. Big deal. And behold, which means look, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. We're going to spend a second here because I, this is just so good. The power of the Lord is with Jesus to heal and then you've got, these four guys that if I were you, if you don't have friends like this in your life, you need to pray for them. Like you want friends like these guys. <clears throat> if you have one, that's great. If you have four, like you just won the lottery, right? I mean, you now have a foxhole full of friends like these dudes. This is who you want. These are like 2 a.m. friends. When you call them at 2 a.m., there's no question of whether or not they're going to answer the phone. You know, they're rolling out of bed and grabbing a shovel, just assuming it's going to be bad and you need them. You want guys like that. You want girls like that in your life that are loyal, right? They're bringing a man, their friend, on a bed or a stretcher or a cot, whatever, because he's paralyzed. His, his, he can't walk. And they are bringing him before Jesus because they believe that Jesus can heal him. Now, tons of people make this text about their faith. Now, the paralytic had to have faith too, right? If he didn't believe this, he would have been like, no, put me down, I'm not going. He believes too. And it's, their faith is to be commended and to be mentioned. I mean, this is a big effort and deal because they believe Jesus can heal them. It is not the point of the text, though. The centrality of this text is not their faith. The centrality of the text is that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins because Jesus is the Son of Man. But their faith is worthy of mentioning. They believe that Jesus has the power <clears throat> to heal their friend. And so we're not told how far they, they bring him across town or whatever. They get there and in verse 18, there's a problem. Because there's so many people, they can't get into the house to get him before Jesus. No big deal. Finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst of four. Now, we fly by that verse. Hold on. Hold on a minute. Have you ever moved someone who's paralyzed? 
I mean, even like from one seat over, they are heavy. Like even if they are small of stature, it's completely dead weight. I mean, you have to see how much work this took. <laughs> to, they, they've carried him on this cot however long it was, and then, and then now they get there? There's so many people outside. You know, most people would be like, man, I'm so, we, there's no way in. We'll try to catch him another time. Not these guys. This is why you want people like this in your life. <laughs> Nobody likes a quitter. Off to plan B. The thought of giving up never crosses their mind. He has a problem, and Jesus can fix it. We've brought him here. We found a roadblock. We're going to go around it. Find you some people like that. And so when we read, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. The work that it would have taken to get him up on the roof. Now, we're going to talk a minute about this because it's, it, it, it's important to the story. Their houses had staircases on the outside because they weren't very big. So you didn't want to take up room on the inside of the staircase. So you, you got, think like a fire escape staircase, kind of like that. You got to the roof from, so they've got to haul the paralyzed man on his bed now around the crowd and up the staircase. And then all the text says is, they let him down with his bed through the towels into the midst before Jesus. Let me tell you how much work that was. Because <laughs> they're like, oh, they just pulled back one of the towels and look. No. This, was a, this required a mini excavation. So they get up there. And, and on the top of the roof, you had, it was multi-layered, like you laid wood beams every two to three feet, and then you had sticks and twigs are woven in, and then you covered it with a layer of earth to keep the leaks out, and then grass would grow on the top in the spring. So it's about two feet deep. They got to dig down to create the space that they're going to lower their friend through after they've already carried him all the way from who knows where and up the stairs. Y'all, this tells you how big their faith is that Jesus can heal. <laughs> they wouldn't be doing all this work if they didn't really believe that Jesus could heal their friend. <coughs> now, imagine... If you were in that, if you were one of the lucky ones and you got in the house and you're hearing Jesus teach, imagine what that would have been like. You know, all of a sudden you're hearing like, what is going on on the roof? And then, you know, you would have like dirt and debris falling and Jesus is teaching. And then all of a sudden, you know, you've got like a, a glimmer of lights coming through and then somebody's on the, somebody's taking the roof off and then. You know, you probably see four faces looking down and then they're lowering a man. Like, what is going on? It's a lot. I'm telling you, find friends that will do this for you. 
And when he saw that, so Jesus is teaching. The man is brought down right before him. Jesus is now interrupted. (laughs) When he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. It's shocking that nobody said, hold on a minute, Jesus. (laughs) That's not really the reason why we brought him all the way here. There's a problem. He can't walk. That's what we need you to fix. His legs don't work. Sins are forgiven. All right, great. Now we got to carry him back home still. You have to see here that Jesus starts with the man's ultimate problem. Y'all, the man's ultimate problem ain't, his, ain't that he's paralyzed. <laughs> Whatever you think your ultimate problem is, it ain't it. Your ultimate problem is your sin. And this is, is fascinating. He doesn't declare them forgiven. He doesn't just assure the man that they're forgiven. Y'all, Jesus is the one that actually forgives his sin. So the committee reacts in verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Hey, guess what? They're right. Well spoken. Spot on correct. The problem is that they are unwilling to believe that Jesus is God and so he can forgive the sin. So since we cannot marry those two things together, you got to be God to forgive sins. He claims to forgive sins. He's got to be a blasphemer. And then just, I mean, for your consideration in verse 22, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, how did he do that? Because he's God. Does he always avail himself of, 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 of attributes like this during his incarnation? No. He gets two on this instance. Knowing what they're thinking. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them. Why do you question In your hearts. Now I wouldn't miss this if I were you here. This is sobering right? The members of the committee. Have a correct theological position. The members of the committee. Have sound theology. And the members of the committee. Are in a wrong relationship with God. Do not miss that. You can pass all the exams in the world and all the new members classes in the world and all the questions the elders ask before you join the church in the world. You can know all the right things and still not know God. 
if this up here hasn't moved to this down here, you're no better than they are. Don't want to scare you? We don't believe in scare tactics? There's a lot of that in the South though, right? Now, what Jesus does here is, he does, this is, you know, I told you at one point we could, do, we could do a series on the radical nature of Jesus and Luke and the gospel. Now he's being provocative on purpose. What he does here is 100% on purpose to rattle the cage. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you or to say, rise and walk. Now you got to, you got to go, you got to, you got to downshift here and, and go in slow motion. Or you're going to miss it. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise or walk. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven. You want to know why? Because you can't prove it. How do we know? It's harder to say rise and walk because as soon as you say rise and walk, everybody's going to go, right? We're really about to know. So it's easier to say your sins are forgiven, right? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. What Jesus is, is, is teaching them is this. I will prove to you that I have the authority to forgive sins. I'm going to heal him. I'm going to tell him to rise and carry his mat and go home. And he's linking together his authority and his power to forgive sins. And there's this. <laughs> Whatever I say, because of who I am and my power and authority, whatever I say comes to pass. If I say, rise and walk, he rises and walks. And if I say, your sins are forgiven, then they are. <clears throat> this time of year, I know you're getting nervous probably about the time. The second point's really brief, so don't worry about it. Uh, this is the time, it's every January, we have to redo our, our termite contract at home. I don't know, what, it's the worst time of year to fall. So this year, the guy was supposed to come out and it was raining and had to come back. So that's like on my mind that we got to do the termite inspection and all that. And I asked him one time, I was like, if we had termites, how would we know anyway? Like, we're kind of just buying insurance, aren't we? And he goes, well, you'll know if, you know... If you go around the house every once in a while with a flashlight and look at your walls, there's usually, there'll be a grouping of little pinpoint holes. If you got that, you're in trouble. Call us. What if we go around the house and I see the holes and I'm like, ah, oh, that looks terrible. We're just going to move the picture about six inches over on the wall and cover it. What's the problem? We still got termites behind the picture eating the house. 
You know, this is why Jesus starts with the problem and not the symptom with this man. The problem isn't that there's holes in the walls of this man's soul. The problem is that sin is eating him to death, just like you and me. The Jews thought that all who were in this position, like paralytics, they had these disorders because of their sin. They thought, didn't make it true, that's what they thought. That's why what Jesus does is all the more radical. He goes right to the core of the problem. Not just treating the symptoms, goes right to the, the problem is sin. He has the authority to forgive sin. Not just sinners. He has the authority to forgive sin like yours and mine. He has the authority to forgive sins because he is the son of man. Now, this is, this is big. This is a term that Jesus uses a lot. Uh, in the Gospels for two reasons. Number one, it's kind of a veiled um, designation of his identity. It, it, it kind of veils who he, I'm the son of man. Dave's the son of man. Well, is it, we, we could all say that we're a son of man. In a sense, it refers to your humanity. In another sense, it refers to something else. If you know your Bibles, and on this occasion, in this audience, guess who really knew their Bibles? The scribes and the Pharisees. Oh, they knew what he meant. They knew exactly what he meant when he said this. The Son of Man is another messianic term for the Savior. In Matthew 20, let me read you this, and then you can go ahead and look at Daniel 7 if you want to. In Matthew 26, we read these words. Matthew 26, verse 64. This is when Jesus is being questioned before Caiaphas. And the high priest stood up and said to him, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And here's his answer. And Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man. seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. Now, the term, this is what I want you to see here. Jesus applies the term to himself again. Son of, he does it over and over and over. Son of man, son of God, same thing. Caiaphas knew what the term meant. It comes from Daniel 7. 
Verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Let me help you Connect the dots. If you were to have dominion and glory and a kingdom and the entire world bowing down and serving and worshiping you and you had everlasting power and dominion and rule, you would be God. And what Jesus is saying is it's me. All of those things are going to be characteristic of the Son of Man. And Jesus is saying to them, and you're looking at him. Of course, I have the authority to forgive sins because I'm God. And that's why we bow down and we worship and adore and serve and love because of who he is. Because he is God, because he is the son of man, he is worthy of our everything. He has authority over everything. And this is what just is mind-boggling to me. He takes his authority and by his wondrous grace uses it to forgive our sins. To pardon us, to cast our sins behind his back into the depths, to separate them as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against us again. Let me tell you something. What better news do you want me to give to you? He takes his authority, and one of the things he does with it is put an end to your sin. If that doesn't melt your heart over the beauty of the gospel, I have nothing for you. Like, what more do you want? We'll close with this. He either has the authority to do that because he is the son of man or he isn't. He just proved it in the text. You know, you can respond in your hearts this morning, just like what we see in the text. You can continue to harden your heart and say, no, he's not. And you can join the committee of the Pharisees and the scribes, and you can label him as a blasphemer, because that's what you have to do. He says he's God, and you believe that he isn't, so you need to be consistent and call him a blasphemer and a liar. Good luck with that. Or you can give him glory and you can give him honor and you can give him praise. You know, they, they, they saw extraordinary things that day for sure. 
I mean, could you imagine if, the, if this really happened? It are, if someone brings someone in and, and, and we pray over them and we anoint them with oil and they get up and walk, and that would be amazing, right? Let me tell you something else that's amazing. That the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins and he forgives broken sinners like you and me by grace through faith. That's just as amazing. Have you heard the words in your heart yet from the Son of Man? Your sins are forgiven. We pray that you wouldn't have a second's rest until you can believe with wholehearted certainty because everything he says comes to pass. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word.